Hey, and welcome to episode 54 of the Thodcast, Conversations About Animation. I'm your host, Philip Elke, and today I'm joined by my brother, once again, Dawson Elke, and also returning to the podcast, one of our favorite guest hosts of the podcast, Hannah Lee Smart. Hey, how are you, Hannah? Long time no see. <laughs> I am so excited for today. Honestly, this is probably the podcast I am most excited to um, film with you because I love Anastasia and Princesses, and it's definitely the most my speed of any movie we've done so far. So I'm very excited. This is exciting. We've had nice, yeah, kind of a series of female driven animated films that we've been covering on this show. And, um, We've got you to talk about the uh, sort of almost Disney style themes of this film, uh, but also joining, of course, Dawson. Great to have you back. What's uh, up, bros? <laughs> and uh, this film set partially, uh, or I guess half of it, maybe, set in Russia. Uh, and the movie we talked about last week uh, was set partially in Russia, too. So uh, <laughs> a little connectivity there. Um, <laughs> but this is a very much this is a very different film than what we covered last week in Tenet. But I thought it'd be fun. It's uh, coming out first day of October. Um, so got to get a little bit of a Halloween spooky vibe going. Um, this movie's a little spooky. Uh, prominently yep. <laughs> features bats <laughs> and demons and things like that um but yeah it'll be fun to get into this subject because uh it's been a long time since i revisited this film um hannah you're a huge fan of this subject i'm curious dawson when was the last time you saw anastasia probably with an ex-girlfriend in college Okay. Or no, not an ex-girlfriend. What it definitely was, was um, there was a whole uh, dorm full of girl roommates who liked having movie nights. Um, and that's, I think that's the last time I saw it. This movie's terrific. And uh, the, mus um, the musical came out recently. And so I had a lot of theater friends who were jazzed about that. When did the musical come out, Hannah? Um, I don't know. I think 2017. It would have been that Broadway season, like 2017, yeah. 2018. Find out here. You've been to the musical, though. Where did you see that? I saw it on Broadway um, with the original cast. It was one of those things that you can brag about forever. Um, mm. Super yeah. awesome. I saw it with a dear friend, and it was, um, it was super cool. So we um, ended up, like, being front row center. It was awesome it was such a unique experience and it's like it was vastly different from the movie but nothing that ruined my childhood love for it is the music the same and the numbers yeah it's the same of course they have their broadway spin to it but the six like core songs from the movie are in the show is it so similar? It's, it's pretty oh, similar um, is it similar to like the Hunchback of Notre Dame musical, the Broadway version, how it it, it took the source, the, the animated source, and then just expanded it, kind of adultified it? You know, yeah, I think out. it's definitely more adult. But to be honest, I think it's like less scary. Um, specifically, the 
in like just in the villain alone so instead of like rising from the dead he's more of um like a soviet general um and mm. you actually don't hate him as much obviously as a child i was freaking out and thought i was gonna get cursed and like you know, yeah. nightmare but it was it's far more historic um and i think that there was a lot more concentration and focus on like Soviet Russia and that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, they also it really expanded like the Paris part of the show. Mm. So they spend a lot more time in Paris versus yeah. anywhere else. I, that was one interesting thing I noticed about this film, the way that um, the villain character is almost ancillary it's almost like he could be removed from this entirely and the plot would be largely the same but he's just sort of added flavor added texture to this so in the broadway oh just the the conflict of uh, you know trying to pull this con and then convincing anya that she or is the princess and then becoming convinced and trying to get her in front of the dowager queen that's all there's enough conflict and antagonists in there for that just to be the film it like doesn't it doesn't need the villain character i'm glad it has one because i love him but he drives the broadway plot i think quite a bit more than in the movie Hmm. um not to just keep comparing that but he um definitely helps to kind of set the mindset of the times per se um like he lets us know how the public perceives the Romanov family Mm. and the history there, I think he is more of like, he's almost like a boomer now hearing all about like social issues and just the shock and awe that the whole world doesn't revolve around them. Mm. Just so happens to be something similar to his stance in this, I think. (laughs) That personality type, if that's a personality type. Wow. Yeah, that uh, Broadway show opened in 2017, uh, oh. had preview in Hartford in 2016. Uh, Hunchback Notre Dame has never been to Broadway, but no. it'd be cool if it made it. <laughs> you know, Disney I really it should. It has an album. It has an album, but it was off it, Broadway. It was off Broadway, yeah. Hmm. Weirdly, very weirdly. I don't know why that didn't catch fire, hellfire. <laughs> My whole theater major is a disgrace now that I didn't know that. (laughs) Let's see. I'm reading here on Wikipedia, the musical omits the supernatural elements from the original film, including the character of Rasputin and his musical number in the dark of the night. Oh, tragic. Um, But it introduces a new villain called Gleb, a general for the Bolsheviks who receives orders to kill Anya. So... I, I don't know. Um, Is he like hunting them down? Like, um, kind of. Yeah, Z- lots of guns actually in the Broadway show. Hmm. Yeah, he's like Javert chasing after Anastasia. <laughs> <laughs> um, gotta, gotta blast those darn aristocrats in the basement. <laughs> that's what happened to her family in real life. Yeah, that's, that's a dark story. And this... Um, animated film you know, takes many liberties with that story 
It's partially based on a 1956 film, also from 20th Century Fox, uh, starring Ingrid Bergman and Yul Brenner. I, I don't know if any of you know anything about that film, but apparently the plot's similar. It's probably like what we said with how it, the conflict is basically just the, you know, is she a fraud or is she legit, you know, type of situation. That's, they spend tons of time in that in the musical, honestly, which I understand it's like an integral part, but like tons of time <laughs> is spent. Well, because that's the big real life drama of the story is everyone was genuinely wondering if she had survived, if this person was out there. And then there was uh, Philip and I, we, and maybe you have Hannah as well, uh, seen a film, a documentary type film about a woman who did claim to be Anastasia. And she was super old when the documentary was filmed. Then like, it was really interesting because there were so many people who were convinced that she was um she had all of these facts like she i mean just like listening to her talk about it i i would never have second guessed it other than the fact that there are people who claim you know that it just can't be like it's not possible and it's uh, hard because way back then there's not like dna tests she could have done with the grandma and you know all these things. yeah and now that was part of the documentary i think is that they were able to do modern dna tests and then um i'll be tuning in uh, yeah, well, and then I, I, I can't remember how it ended. It was really vague, but it, I, it did end with like the, the, we took a DNA test and no, like you're not, but she's like, oh, but I am. Ouch. And then, <laughs> you know, some people were still like, you know, not convinced after that, but. Hmm. Did um, you take that in or did you see it in school? Dasa? Yep. That was Mr. Ockery's uh, psychology class. Oh, if I'm not mistaken, it might've been. Well, actually, it might have been uh, one of uh, 10th grade biology because you saw an AP bio. Uh, well, I saw it in Ofstdahl's class. That could have been 10th grade bio or senior AP bio. I can't remember. But if you saw it in, uh, in Ofstdahl, you didn't take the AP bio. No. Why did you guys I, watch this in a biology class? Genetics. About, yeah, DNA. Oh. <laughs> yeah. That was so dumb, Dad. But well, no, no, that's not dumb because uh, my memory is divided. It was either bio or psychology, and that makes a lot of sense too oh. because the psychology of you know um, a person and memory. I think it might have been a memory study. Actually. Memory oh. is a huge theme throughout the movie, throughout the show, mm. um, and I think this, the whole lesson of Anastasia, in my mind, truly is like the memories of which you hold with your family like how far they can take you mm. and like through all of the real world things which is so cool that they can take something that's so real and make it so adaptable and make little girls like want to be Anya like that's crazy like the amount of times my Barbies were Anya is ridiculous oh I love that well, she even says outright, you know, what lost little girl wouldn't want to be a princess? And I, I love that a character and a princess character in an animated film just, just said that, you know, like, because so it's strong. very self-aware. Yeah. As much as she has like the pretty yellow dress, like all of the, we all wanted like her coat and like her dirty, like, you know, outfit, like that is Anya. And um, Christy Altamere, the girl that's, um, she was a woman who was Anya on Broadway. Um, she, I would watch her Instagram lives and she had this little um, kind of an ugly doll 
and she would call it little Anya. And I just loved that it was such like a tattered doll that like someone had given her. And that doll is the most representative, you know, visual visualization of this show to me. I just love it. And I think that it's a true lesson to little girls that like any girl can be a princess. That's a lesson Disney's been trying to teach us for years, but Anastasia escaped from them for a bit there. They couldn't get their clutches on her. You probably know Philip all about Don Bluth and Disney's clutches, don't you? Oh, yeah, that's an interesting topic to explore because this is the first Don Bluth film that we're covering on the Thodcast. Uh, and yeah, it's uh, quite the history. I mean, I've gone into several like internet rabbit holes just reading about Don Bluth, uh, appropriately a rabbit hole since he was sort of, well, his seminal work for Disney kind of was for Winnie the Pooh. Like he was one of the lead animators on the original design for a rabbit in The Who, or in Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> um, <laughs> the Who. Yeah. um yeah apparently the who was signed on to do music at one point for the iron giant by the way which uh is pretty fascinating that didn't make sense pan out um but yeah the um he uh, he eventually left uh disney i think after the production of fox and the hound or something that was a big nexus point in the history of that studio where a lot of people just got disenchanted and left uh, and, and Blue split, split off on his own and um, took some other uh, partners with him, including the co-director on this film, Gary Goldman. Um, so yeah, this is Don Bluth's ninth uh, feature and Goldman's sixth. And all of Goldman's features are as co-director with Bluth. Um, and this is the actual immediate follow-up to uh, the Pebble and the Penguin of all films <laughs> from 1995. There are some real obscure, uh, I don't know if I'd call them gems, but just some some titles here. Well, I feel um, like Don Bluth is like the hipster of the animated world. <laughs> a little bit. I, Disney was mainstream and he's like, well, I'm going to kind of do that. Like I'm going to, I'm going to take what's popular and and do a, a more original creative and then you know no he's one, got no one's ever yeah heard of he's got some bangers i mean he was you know upset about like how disney was kind of lazy back in the late 70s you know they animated the rescuers and like didn't even bother color you know painting the whites of the characters eyes white you know something they oh, did change yeah. in the sequel to rescuers you know rescuers down under that's a good um, film too but yeah, Secret of Nim, like the animation is so clean and it was made in 1981 when, you know, Disney was kind of at a low point, um, but just gorgeous animation in that film. It was, it was a little bit of a sleeper, but has gone down as, you know, just a bonafide classic um, mm-hmm. based on a novel. Um, I don't know if the novel is called The Secret of Nim or, or The Rats of Nim or something like that. Um, have you seen that, either of you? Oh, yeah. Long time ago. Hannah, you familiar with the story of The Secret of Nim? I honestly don't remember it, but who knows? Yeah. You Talk know, about I feel like... Does Mrs. Frisbee ring a bell? Like, 
you watch it for three seconds and then you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, mice. Don't care. No. Yeah, talk about hipster. <laughs> that, that movie is kind of gnarly. The oversaturation of like our childhood, I feel like, was movies with like mice in them, so nobody knows. You're right. Uh, an American Tale, which I've never seen in completion, actually. <laughs> Either. Um, that movie there looked like not interesting. Uh, I don't. I don't know why. I don't know what my preferences were as a child, but some things just. I didn't care about at all. Um, same with like, I mean, I never saw all, you know, dogs go to heaven and I like, Oh, I love that movie. I'm sure it's wonderful. And I mean, I love the title obviously, but I think, you know, I liked the great mouse detective and then I didn't. And then American tale looked like a boring version of that because of mice. And <laughs> then um, uh, I didn't like, um, the Oliver and company film as a kid, I thought that was like just dark and depressing and, and boring all at the same time. And then I figured all dogs go to heaven. That was like, that looked similar because it was about dogs. And so I, no. I do think there was lots of dog. We are the generation where like the animated animals were like off wild. Well, the, the beginning of Oliver and company with the, you know, the cat in the box of like orphan cats in the rain. I mean, I was, I couldn't handle that. That was Oh my too gosh. That is bad. like pulling my heartstrings style. Right. I, <laughs> that is like, <laughs> I'm the kid that would sit there bawling at Oliver. Just be like, oh, mom, can we Honestly, have like 12 cats? They're mewling in the rain and no one wants them. And I was just like, Ooh. it's so sad. Yeah. I, I, sounded like I was maybe dumping on um, the uh, Fox and the Hound earlier, but like you didn't even, even that film. It, yeah. It just ended up, there was a lot of like political fallout from that film within the studio internally, but uh, because like, that one was sad and depressing and <laughs> that's it. Like, well, <laughs> I, it does have just such impactful emotional beats that you can't deny. I mean, I, it really does excel in the emotional, um, just upping the ante that Disney is traditionally known for, but like there, there are other parts where that film is, is certainly on the uh, on the leaner side. So um, even at its worst, Disney is usually capable of delivering some pretty solid emotional beats. There's no awful Disney animated film, correct? Or yeah, I mean, I mean, other than maybe something really obscure in the '40s or '30s, like, or 50s. I don't know. Yeah, there are some things in the 2000s, Chicken Little, you know, uh, Oh, on the Rain. I was, I was thinking pre-Renaissance, but yeah, yeah. No, you're you're right. You know, they're all pretty competent, just because they all had the cream of the crop in terms of talent working on them. Well, because everyone wanted to work there. Mm-hmm. Uh, this but Don film, Blue didn't. Eventually, well, he put up a fight on his own, producing films like Secret Name, An American Tale, The Land Before Time, um, All Dogs Go to Heaven. Um, there were a couple films that of his that made the tremendous mistake of trying to open up against other major animated films. What was he doing? Um, and yeah, like All Dogs Go to Heaven released the exact same day as The Little Mermaid in 1989. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> so that 
film, you know, it struggled at the box office, but it did very well on home videos. So, I mean, if you can do halfway as competent animation and put it out on VHS, if you could do that in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, you could make a, a killing. Nice. So, so that's how he was able to make more. Yeah. It wasn't necessarily box office returns. Yes. Um, was his biggest, was the biggest um, flop Titan A? Probably in terms of like the budget differential, maybe. Because I mean, that movie cost a ton. Um, but like a troll in Central Park <laughs> from 1994. <laughs> uh My- my birth year was wild. <laughs> that movie did not gross a hundred thousand dollars in theaters. Amazing. It it just got totally dumped. It it was basically like Rock and Roll from 1983 by Nirvana. Oh, Central Biker. <laughs> uh, a movie that I brought up last week, and uh, we have to talk about it at some point. Don't make me watch it. It's the ultimate obscure gem. I love it so much. Okay. Rock and Roll. Check it out. Um, I, when I was searching for Anastasia, this is when I was searching for Anastasia, I, I went to Netflix and I found a, something called uh, Moon, Guardian of the Moon. Have, have you heard of this? No. What's that? I was like, it's animated. It's for kids. It's PG. But Rob Lowe is in it. So it's like it can't be like the most obscure, like, hmm. I don't know, foreign low budget film. So I clicked on it. It was captivating instantly. Oh, okay. um, and then then the like character animation was was real whack um the backgrounds and everything was very beautifully done and the the story um uh beginning well story wow really cool but anyway so i (laughs) i don't know like i don't know if modern movies count as being obscure because i feel like there's just so many if you want like a real cgi mess though there's this film it's like a half hour christmas special called rhapsody street kids have you heard of that um on on youtube it's like a christmas movie about a group of kids it has mark hamill jody benson Paige o'hara debbie derryberry it's this insane a-list cast doing this what this film this half hour special tv special that looks like I can't, it, it looks like the video for the Dire Straits song, uh, Money for Nothing. Have you ever seen that? No, or but I'm looking Weird up Al Rhapsody did a parody Street of it. Street. Yeah, Rhapsody. And it's, <laughs> Weird Al, I have not heard that name in years. <laughs> well, Weird Al did the Beverly, Beverly Hillbillies parody of this, the Dire Straits video, but it's just the blockiest animation ever. Of course, oh. that original Dire Straits video came out in uh, Well, you know, because they used all their money on the cast. Oh my <laughs> gosh, Rap City. It's spelled S-I-T-T-I-E. with an S-I-T-I-E. Yeah. But oh, uh, <laughs> no, what a nightmare. I'm in I'm in hell. But I, here, I started here's the watching thing. The, just the opening and I'm in hell. That oh. guy made another video about dinosaurs also starring Mark Hamill. What? <laughs> Is this Mark the one Hamill that was the in two of this guy's videos? From? <laughs> <laughs> Have I, you seen the that meme? What's that? The ye meme, the T Rex that says ye. That's probably I don't know. <laughs> anyway, that's wow. That that uh, dinosaur video uses oh, sound dinosaur effects Island? from like it uses sign, sound effects from a bunch of other things like Lord of the Rings. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. 
Um, but we're totally off track here, but that's okay. It's yeah, fun, fun to talk about. Um, I, you brought up like the, the boomer aspect of the, that like villain from the stage play. And yes, I, I don't know that that's an interesting juxtaposition because the Bolshevik revolution occurred in 19, was it 17? 1917 October revolution, 100 yeah. years before the musical then. Wow, that's insane. Um, and there, I mean, Russia is known for political turbulence. And of course, they had, you know, they were the USSR for, gosh, um, you know, 1917 to 1991, was it? Or when, when did they tear down? 92, I'm pretty sure. It could have been 91. Okay, so that's uh, fast math. Uh, 60, is it set? Uh, yeah, is that 70 years almost? I mean, uh, 60 years, see, 1920 to 1990 approximately. So that's 70 years, that's give wild. or take. That, <laughs> yeah. Like, Stalin was breathing 60 years, like 70 years ago. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. That's the very recent history. The mm -hmm. um, 70 years, century. it was, you know, a communist country. And, uh, so just massive wealth division in that uh, in that country. You know, you had the extravagance of the czarist uh, empire. Um, you know, that palace, the Winter Palace in Saint Petersburg, the most extravagant palace probably in the world. I, I think it holds the world record as being the largest standing, um, you know, government palace. Uh, I don't know. Have you ever been, Hannah? <laughs> uh, no. The, 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 have you been to the Winter Palace? <laughs> <laughs> that's what it's called. Um, I was watching some videos. That's yeah. just a dope name. That's Disney in its own right. If this uh, character, Gleb, could almost be seen as sort of the new, um, I don't know, hopeful or I, I guess uh, starry-eyed well-wisher for the future, someone who's fighting for the proletariat, for the common man. Um, how is he portrayed exactly? Well, he's like the, um, the son, actually, of one of the guards that was um, tasked with like killing off the whole family. Um, and then he's kind of like brought up in that mentality and then assigned um, to like once the word gets out that they found her, he's kind of like assigned with her demise, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But he almost goes through a bit of like a struggle because he doesn't, um, I think he has more of a heart than where he was brought up. I actually saw this quote, it's not about Anastasia, mm -hmm. but about, um, you're responsible for being better than the society that you grew up in. And I think that is literally his character to a T is he's going through these big internal struggles because he was brought up with this like crazy mentality that you're supposed to kill off this family. Um, yeah. Yeah. So he wrestles, he wrestles with that. Is he, yeah. how, how is he, how is he defeated in the end? Uh, I think he moves to France. Thank you. Like, I don't actually know. Oh. I don't want to like. Well. <laughs> okay. 
Yeah, no, no spoilers. We'll leave it open to the yeah. imagination. I think it's a big, um, big point in the show. Yeah, because the the animated film skirts around a lot of really serious political implications, and it is much more centered well, on. Well, they kind of have to. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's there's enough little <laughs> references. You know, you you mm-hmm. can, you get it. They're wearing the hat. They're wearing the symbols. And Saint Petersburg is gray and dull, and everyone's sad, and everything <laughs> sucks. And I'm freezing my butt off. And it's like Kansas um, versus Oz. <laughs> like what? Like Kansas and Oz. Mm, yeah i i guess uh saint petersburg is kind of like the kansas to what paris is oz would you say yeah because paris oh, is the dream paris is the <laughs> you know the journey yeah oh my gosh also i sang all of those songs like through my childhood and then when the musical came out obviously i added them to my rep book in college yeah. so you know like every little girl this Broadway show was almost like the reincarnation of all of those mm. Anastasia dreams. Now it's a reality. You can actually you stand a chance. What what's the what is the song called? That the second one in the film, the heart don't um, fail me now. Journey to the past. Journey and then to... the one yeah, and then the one that kind of carries her through with like the music box and the connection to her family. That's really important is Once Upon a December. Once Upon a December. Yeah. Um Journey, what was key? don't forget what? Heart, journey. Don't <laughs> journey fail to me. The past. Journey to the past. Something. Yeah. What yeah. a what a legendary I want song. I, mm. I yeah. I get it is damn. absolutely show stopping. And I think the movie too, like honestly, that's such an iconic part. Like that is the part that you like scream in your shower. And she's just walking through snow. Right? <laughs> like and but it the music is so sweeping and so epic and you it, you're just taken up in it. And um once upon a December, obviously, is just one for the ages. The how did they do it in Broadway? The scene where the ghosts come out of the window, or did they do that at all? Did they have a sort of because um, this movie did scare me quite a bit as a kid um, with a lot of, with different types of fear. Rasputin was like you know straight up just scary, scary. But then there's a certain numinous uh, dread about wandering through the old castle and. Uh, when the when the ghosts come out of the window and they, they all look beautiful and they're all dancing and they're all happy, but the music is so in such this like oppressive minor key. And yeah, there, there there's, was that, I've, there's oh. several big dance numbers actually that kind of carry the plot through. Um, there was one dancer in particular that they kind of used to almost meld the two worlds together, if that makes sense. Hmm. Like it's more of a like, the costuming is kind of, um, it leads your mind to realize like what's going on. Um, but again, it's a, a little bit more militant than like spiritual. Okay. So they didn't, they didn't do a big ghost scene. No, it was like dancing like people and then dancing they bears. into more like colorful things. Yeah. Does the, Again, I saw this years ago. Yeah. So. Did did the play open with young Anastasia then in the flashback? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Super cute. Yeah, it's it's a interesting prologue. I mean, I you'll it. understand much more of the context as you get older. Um, you know, the revolutionary storming the castle, and you know the what's the deal with Rasputin? He has <laughs> such an interesting uh, historical role yeah. in. Yeah the events surrounding the fall of the, the Romanov dynasty. 
Um, but yeah, I, you know, Tsar Nicholas II and Alexandra uh, were the Tsar and Tsarina of uh, Imperial Russia. And they had five children. Um, I don't have the entire list, I don't think, of their kids. Uh, Olga is mentioned. She was, I think, the oldest um, mentioned in this film. And then Anastasia, the youngest, youngest daughter. And then the youngest child was the one son, Alexei. Alexei, the hemophiliac. Yeah, who Rasputin was hired to like be a, a healer. He was like a holy man, almost like a cult leader, sort he of like a, a, holy <laughs> a Jim Jones type. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a great son. Uh, they thought about having you know licensing that song for this but they couldn't get the rights <laughs> yeah. where would that have fit in i think bartok w- was just gonna sing it as sort of a throwaway <laughs> we haven't mentioned bartok yet have we no, really we haven't hank azaria i i really enjoyed this character he's you know kind of minimal but like the way that he is a sympathetic character and not just sort of a stooge for the villain is kind of nice he's rasputin's last shred of con- of a conscience yeah and uh, where do they go to the, the blue void with an orb of bones floating in the middle of it? The, is it some, some astral? Is it one of the levels of hell, probably? The one Burton. of the nine? I was just like, the Burton dimension. The Burton dimension. Um, it's great. They just like, they fly through the space cancer. That is a fun, trippy. At... Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess it's just sort of like an alternate dimension, a spirit dimension. And and because uh, he has the, uh, Rasputin has the reliquary that gives him supernatural powers. It's his bridge to the, the dark forces, as he says. Uh, it probably enables him to traverse into like a dark dimension. Um, the shadow fell. Yeah. Uh, so he's kind of like Karen. <laughs> he's trapped yeah. inside a soul gem. Mm-hmm. So he uses that power to, um, I guess, re to incarnate in Paris at the end of the movie. Otherwise, he's just stuck in this <laughs> the soul dimension or whatever. Incarnate in Paris. <laughs> uh, I love the art of the Paris scenes. The impressionism of yeah. Of, backgrounds when they're singing the, the paris song paris is the key to your heart the, yeah it looked like van gogh paintings is that what they yeah were um well van gogh he wasn't i mean he wasn't french, french but he, he lived in france though right true yeah i mean it was just it was that whole era of you know france and artists uh, the mm. impressionists and you know renoir you know a little bit of that um uh gogan I think Gog- was it Gogan and Van Gogh who were friends? I can't remember, but um, yeah, I love the 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 guy standing on the airplane. Um, oh gosh, that's there was, that was there's there's out. so many animated like liberties taken with like realism that don't bother me in this film, like in others, I guess. Okay. I like all of Saint Petersburg singing singing a song and dancing. I- yeah. Oh, yes. it, the choreography like, is like uncanny. It's almost like Beauty and the Beast if that movie was more coordinated with the 
Like it's almost like they were doing synchronized swimming Beauty and the Beast in that scene. Oh, that, how, how, yeah. Major Bell vibes from that opening yeah. number. Yeah. And the right, right, but on such a larger scale. And yeah, the the character animation is is so alive. Um, uh, like Anya during you know Journey to the Past. I mean, just how she's flopping around and the poses she strikes are all just like, oh, evocative yeah. and great. Um, and there, man, there's so many other, there's so many great moments worth worth talking about. I don't know. Do you do you have an order of things you need to get back on, Philip? Or no, no, I'm. It's. Um fun to just talk about some of the ways this movie was just quite an ambitious endeavor especially compared to some of blue's previous films that weren't commercially successful this one uh, was this right? one was yeah like his first hit since i mean all all dogs go to heaven didn't do that well at the box office but did well on home video uh he followed that up with a movie called rock a doodle which i could not have conjured the poor researching this episode i i had no idea that existed <laughs> it's about an elvis chanticleer an elvis rooster voiced oh. by dom deluise i believe <laughs> um and it w- opened against um fern gully in the united states in 1992 uh, <laughs> i love that movie we'll do that one soon right well, we should. I've never seen it. Oh my gosh, Philip. It's so good. Yeah, I mean, that was the year I was born. I, I should really get around to it. The only thing I've heard about Ferngully is, is I recall the Nostalgia Critic not liking it, which nowadays means it's probably a great film. <laughs> it is so good. Um, the only like thing about Ferngully that I feel like is kind of like a thing that people would be like, what? Is like... First of all, she's not your typical, like, pretty girl lead. She's more of, like, a tomboy fairy. Also, I think there's, like, this machine that's, like, it makes sense in the movie, and I won't do spoilers, but I think people, like, don't comprehend it fully, and then they hate it. But I loved it. I love that movie. Interesting. Uh, I hear a lot that Ferngo is super hot. Um, <laughs> what? Yeah. Is that her name? No, I'm looking is at that, no, or, or, her name is... Oh my God. I'm sorry, I'm a pleb. No, that's fine. Krista. Oh, I like it. Krista, I like yeah, I knew it. Zelda's super, or Link is super hot. Wait, no, never mind. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at a picture of her now. Okay. It's, it doesn't look like it's the most on model pose that I'm looking at here. Every male I've talked to who recalls this movie finds her to be... A, a catch fetching she's she's not bad this isn't a great picture of her i'm i wish i could find a higher resolution and i she it kind of looks like the animation from rock and roll <laughs> a little bit maybe a little some, bit yeah free-spirited rainforest fairies what is it not to love an enchanted world. The Tsar of Imperial Russia. A sorcerer's curse. I will not rest until I see the end of the Romanov line forever! A young princess. Anastasia! Grandma! Who vanished without a trace. A new world. Get some food and safety just back. A new world. A on the street. Or 
Although the Tsar did not survive, one daughter may be still alive. The Princess Anastasia! Anastasia, alive? Ain't that the kick in the head? I guess a curse just ain't what it used to be, huh, sir? It's the story of an orphan named Anya. You want to find your family, huh? And a dreamer named Dimitri. Do you see what I see? Yes! You think that I am Anastasia? That's why I'm stuck here in limbo. Don't get so grabby. They're teaming up to find a clue to her past before the evil Rasputin destroys their future. I want to look my best. Whoa, that fell right out. The last of the Romanovs will die! We're gonna have to jump! After you! Maybe! I get the message! Is Thumbelina Don Bluth too? Yes. That was Jody Benson. Wow. This guy's prolific as I'll get out. That's yes. a lot of film. Essentially, all the movies that are iconic that aren't Disney movies, like there he is. Mm-hmm. Which, didn't Disney buy the rights to Anastasia like the year the musical came out? Well, yeah, they, uh, they own 20th Century Fox now. So they technically own Anastasia. I watched this on HBO Max, which is a Warner, you know, company, a, a Warner brand. She's um, everywhere. But yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Anastasia ends up on Disney Plus eventually. Uh, and I would hope that they would incorporate Anastasia more into the Disney family because I, I do believe it does hold up as a valid entry within like the Disney canon. I oh just yeah, think and, and no child... There. No child knows there's a difference between Anastasia and any other princess. I mean. But is what makes it a Disney animated film because it was Disney like animation studios and like Pixar that do them? Or like, is that why they wouldn't be accepting is because it wasn't their like studio that produced it. AKA they would be taking like credit for someone else's work or like not saying this is downgrading, but downgrading their own reputation by another studio's work. Although Anastasia is like definitely not. I don't think they should necessarily put it in, you know, a bunch of montages for, you know, the map projection or, you know, world of color types of things. If they wanted to, you know, I I mean, maybe a little, it's it's hard to say because this is such a good movie. I feel like it fits with the aesthetic of Disney and Pixar just in terms of quality. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Like, because Disney can't take as much credit for this film as, you know, they would their own original brand, then they, they might not be so keen on featuring it as much um, in other materials. But I don't know. I, uh, they have every right to. <laughs> they own it. There might I be, mean, a, yeah. The least they could do is put it on Disney Plus. Yeah, and I'm sure there's contracts, uh, you know, at issue there with with streaming rights and things like that. Sure. Um, okay, but, Philip. Can we talk about the cast of this movie? The cats. The cast, like the, the cast. <laughs> yeah. Like, yes. Yes. Meg Ryan. Uh, yeah, that's great. who I would like to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> and also Angela Lansbury mm-hmm. like what the heck mm. um, there's so many good people I just popped it up so I could like double check but like 
Um, how did nobody think this was going to Broadway if Bernadette Peters was also in this? Like, all the Broadway queens, like, Andrea Martin, we have, like, Kelsey Grammer, like, all these people are in here. It's just, like, what? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Liz Calloway did the uh, vocals for Anastasia. She's She was big on Broadway, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, she won a Tony back in the day. Yeah, and then of course there's Angela Lansbury, who's like won like every Tony ever made. Yeah. I and I like how she actually does the dialect in this too. It's it's not so obvious that it's her because she is doing a bit of a Russian accent. I had no idea actually. I didn't notice that. I I find her completely obvious. Oh, and I wouldn't wouldn't have it any other way because Angela Lansbury is perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that also. And another ode to uh, Beauty and the Beast. Mm. Yes. Yeah. There's some there's some crossover. Um John John Cusick and Kelsey Grammer, their characters, Dimitri and Ah Wow blanking. What's the name? The dude's name? The big bigger dude? Uh Vlad. Sully? Vlad. Uh Dimitri and Vlad are like one of my favorite Han and Chewies after Han and Chewie. Hmm. <laughs> that is such a funny analogy. That that's the what they look like and what they are. I mean <laughs> um, Cusack is good. Like I couldn't distinguish him from probably uh, Chris um, Pine. Pine, yeah. Other than that, Chris <laughs> Pine might not have been born when this was made. But yeah, he, he wasn't. His career hadn't just really like him. Yeah. Oh my gosh, you guys! Do you know that Lacey Chab- uh, Chabert, aka Gretchen Wieners, was young Anya? Huh. Uh, no. I, I thought Kirsten Dunst did the speaking voice too, right? For Yeah, they're Anya. both listed as young Anya. Yeah. Whoa. Um, Isn't that so random? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not sure Rose who that is. everything. She was also see. Eliza Thornberry. Oh, okay. For sure. Um, shoot. Lacey. Yeah, Lacey. How do you pronounce her last name? I have no idea. I just like tried to do hooked on phonics when I did it. <laughs> Chabert, maybe? Oh, yeah, that Chabert? makes more sense. I think I said Chabert. I Chabert. Yours Who, makes more sense. She was born in Mississippi, so you never know. But she, she is of Cajun uh, and Italian ancestry, so maybe as a, like a French Cajun, she um, pronounces it Chabert. Chabert. Um, Sounds good to me. <laughs> I, I, just I should know because, you know, I've I've heard her name mentioned, I know, but like she's not in a lot that I've really follow. She was in that movie Lost in Space from 1998, mm. Penny Robinson. She's got a real distinctive high-pitched voice. Um, I know that. Yeah, I think she's pretty distinct. But she must do some sort of character voicing because in this and in the wild thornberries like i don't think that anya sounds like eliza thornberry yeah i know but also like as a child your voice changes like so much yeah that i i didn't think either of the singing voices for anya you know sounded super close to the the speaking i don't know if, if it it doesn't bother me for the adult and Anya, you know, Liz Calloway sounds fine. It's it's not distractingly dissimilar mm-hmm. from, um, 
what's her name? Uh, Meg Ryan. Meg Ryan, yeah. But yeah, it's it, Meg Ryan just it has so much that she brings to the role that yeah. you know, I can imagine anyone else doing that. She kind of she kind of just disappears into this role and really embodies the character. She was his hesitant about doing the animation or you know doing an animated role, but like the animators um, did like a pencil test of Anya you know, doing dialogue from, I think, when Harry met Sally and they showed this to Meg Ryan and that's what got her to sign on to the project. Hmm. Uh, that's she, dope. Yeah. She went through as an actor what the character went through. I don't know if, I, if I'm this thing. And they go, no, but you are. You are the princess. <laughs> I think they've done that with several actors to trying to pitch them on some of these animated roles. Uh, they'll you know, do a pencil test. And... It's so funny that an actor would be hesitant to do a voice role. It's so much less work and so much more fun. Yeah, I, I think subjectively, the risk the risk would be like having your name attached to a project that you know might might flop. You know, you might not. I yeah, I don't know. I'm not really sure what the disincentive would be, uh, but yeah, sometimes these animated films kind of bomb and. And maybe it's seen as you know you're you're hitting below your weight when you're taking that type of a role. But yeah, in terms of like this being the first film from 20th Century Fox's animation division that they established in Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona. So nice. Yeah, you don't get too many films made in Phoenix, uh, particularly animated films. And this was one of two, uh, Titan AE, also from Don Bluth and Gary Goldman. Um, I, and that, that movie did not succeed commercially, so that resulted in shutting down this short-lived uh, production studio. And, and that, the Fox animation division kind of got rolled into Blue Sky. Oh. Yeah. Well, so did Don Bluth work on Ice Age? Uh, no, I don't think so. No. I think Don Bluth basically retired after Titan A. I've got cramps, wrist cramps. I can't do this anymore. I've done nine dozen animated films. I have carpal tunnel syndrome. I'm done. Oh, <laughs> no. I, yeah. I mean, he probably didn't hand draw like a lot, maybe some keyframes here and there. I end up concept art, no doubt. And, his career is crazy because like he's gone through multiple bankruptcies and it's just, it's such a volatile industry, especially if you don't have the backing of, you know, a Disney or you know, Spielberg, you know, with DreamWorks. Um, it's, it's really tough. I admire crazy driven people so much. God, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make this massive thing. I don't care how much money I have or don't have or who I'm working for or not. It's going to do it. Hannah, what do you think of the Rasputin character in this? Um, I feel like he's like too spooky. <laughs> Did like, do you remember seeing this as a kid and like that being a bother to you? Yeah. Or? Okay. Like, okay. I had like three nightmares as a kid always. 
<laughs> I'm not kidding. Rasputin from Anastasia. The guy from the Dennis the Menace movie that like when he's opening the can of beans after he kidnaps him. <laughs> like, hmm. oh my God. And three is really gross. And the reason that I'm a vegetarian now was literally me eating like a live chicken and I would panic. But he was like, <laughs> number one, my childhood nightmares. You close your eyes and it's just like, oh my gosh. Yeah. And actually, you know, it just sparked in my head. It kind of looks like the Dementors a little bit from Harry Potter, like the little spirits in this movie. Mm. Mm-hmm. My mind is blown. <laughs> um yeah. Rasputin himself, yeah, he's kind of like a dementor where he's all so just... creepy. So <laughs> creepy. Every and any man that quite like simply resembled him in absolutely any way, obviously there's not a lot of ringers on the street for that, but <laughs> so frightening. Uh-huh. Yeah. One of the I I would agree, one of the scarier anime. I probably and a reason I didn't want to watch it that much because it it was like the scariest that the boat scene is yeah scariest Mm. and i have Uh like brothers so you know when you say like oh my gosh like tell me when it's over and you're sitting there covering your eyes and then they say it's over and there he is yeah (laughs) (laughs) i I love that that was my life the artwork in that dream sequence is is wonderful Um, just the painterly Mm -mm. you hate it well, no, I mean, I love it. I, oh, now I love it. But as a kid, I mean, there's nothing more anxiety-inducing than the yeah. um, uh, the dramatic irony of the the audience knows where yeah. she is and what she's doing, and it keeps cutting back to Dimitri, and he's waking up, and you know, the hot's oh, just devastating. Oh, and I wanted to ask, talk about we, we let's knock it off Rasputin, but since we're talking about the boat scene, the VFX in this mm. film, this film had a lot of VFX. I did not remember, and they look terrible now, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, they're trying to blend it into, you know, the traditional hand-drawn style. So you can't it make... like a PS1 game. Yeah, you can't it, make There's the... this beautiful animation happening on the set of a PlayStation 1 game, on the set of GoldenEye. Um. I, I do feel, though, that, like, that horse in the ending battle is appropriately unsettling looking because yes. that CG animation is kind of um, primitive. Yeah. I love that. That horse is nuts. Mm-hmm. That horse but, currently resides at the Colorado airport. <laughs> yes, it does. Go look it up. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like Raspian is like this walking desiccated corpse, basically. Oh, the nails they, and the fingers. And the... I wish they kind of like, it doesn't seem like they did any adjustments to his character model from when we first see him in the flashback to like where he is you know in the nether verse uh i it would have been fun to see him like sort of devolve into like just this ghastly husk of of a person but so you wish it was more horrifying throughout he, well i he, maybe his present state should be how he you know, appears during the the bulk of the film, but then in the beginning, you see him and he's a little more normal looking, but he's just sort of foolish oh, from the start. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, you no, know, animation's expensive, so it helps just keep things <laughs> consistent. <laughs> he does knock his head into his own rib cage. That's great. That's. Uh, I don't know. It's I... actually wild how expensive animation was, like even then. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, this movie was estimated to have cost 
uh, $50 million, which in the mid-1990s was quite a bit of money. Uh, it was released in 1997. It's still a bit of money to some of us, Philip. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, well, and of course, this movie was a success, having grossed $140 million at the box office. But, you know, that's not you know, crazy money in terms of like what, you know, major animated films gross nowadays, usually $140 million uh, for an animated film today would be a disappointment. But, Adjusted for inflation, that was probably over 200. Yeah, right? yeah maybe around 300 at, at the most. But, uh, you know, on a $50 million budget, it made money. So it was it was definitely a success and crazy I mean, you can make a film that grosses under one hundred thousand, and then one that gets over a hundred million yeah well the vhs market the too yeah but what did you say volatile is the word for that industry yeah yeah well don bluth was so disappointed with the end result of the pebble and the penguin that he is uncredited as director on that film, along with Gary Goldman. There are no credited directors on The Pebble and the Penguin. What was there, the a, was there a mutiny, a crew mutiny? Yeah, they're kind of like, I think they sort of left the project before it ultimately got released. And the writing was on the wall that this little workshop in Dublin, where he and Goldman were setting up shop, um, you know, was just no longer going to stay solvent. And so... Were they on the they, run from the law? Like, Arizona. No, Dublin. Dublin. <laughs> well, they went from Dublin to Arizona. Um, you know, they were probably happy to get out of there. But, um, I, I mean, just the... the I, I was going to say, like, I, I'm comfortable with incorporating Anastasia more into, like, the Disney brand... Uh, because I, I do think the level of quality is there. I wouldn't say the same for like Quest for Camelot, for example. No. Uh, yeah, I, I think that film just, it looks cheaper. Uh, mm -hmm. Jody even mentioned like how the eyes sort of go askew, you know, for the characters just don't stay on model as well in that film. They get waxinator eyes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they all lazy eyes. And in this film, every it just looks. I mean, I guess that's maybe a testament to Don Bluth and his scrutiny as just this, you know, very ex experienced. You know, he's got a very strong eye for quality. But like even the derpy faces that the characters make in Anastasia, I find charming and endearing. <laughs> yeah, I definitely think this is a step up. I mean, people confuse Anastasia for Disney animation all the time, and like we've already said that Disney animation is where everyone wanted to be at the time even now yeah like i mean is like disney is like you say i'm a disney animator and people are like huh yeah wild i definitely think um in terms of like the presence in the parks and in marketing things like that um they should have like character meet and greets from anastasia at the very least uh do you oh, agree hannah philip the tickets I would buy <laughs> to possibly, <laughs> I would literally buy like another annual pass just to like go there every day to see if Anya was going to be at the parks. Yeah, I think that'd be rad. Like a big, a giant bar talk would be fun. A raspy. Hey, did you know yeah. 
in trying to find this on the internet to rewatch, um, Bartok has a like a, a spinoff movie. Yeah. Okay. So that yeah, that's sort of the missing third film from Fox Animation, and that wasn't released was in like, theaters. What the heck? You're right. I've and I've I saw that when I was younger in school, uh, and I don't know. It I think it's fairly good. We and we should review it on the show. That would be kind of fun in the yeah. keeping with the Halloween theme. That um, I so have never seen. That might also be on HBO Max. Uh, and that film is directed by Don Bluth. Uh, his only direct-to-video film. Yes. Wow. Everywhere. Because, yeah, I mean, so many of Don Bluth's films have been spun off into sequels. Secret of Nim got a direct-to-video sequel. An American Tale. The, this, the sequel to that, actually, I think got released to theaters. I'm and you know what? Sure. I'm always one of those people that hates a sequel. <laughs> yeah mm. well except if, for like all 85 of toy stories like i love all of them yeah, they're all they're yeah i think nowadays yeah companies are a bit more savvy to where like they don't want the reputation of you know crapping on their ip so when not, frozen 2 came out and everyone was shaking in their boots <laughs> yeah i mean they they definitely even if frozen 2 were more of a disappointment like they at least did their utmost diligence in making sure like they weren't disrespecting the franchise and it'd be fun to do a bit of a retrospective on frozen Two since we covered that so heavily on this show um and i haven't actually seen frozen two in a while but like i i certainly think that i, I wasn't disappointed by that film even though there were certain elements i thought were a little weak um but the soundtrack still holds up tremendously for me um, the biggest shock for me in Frozen 2, I know we're like way off topic now, <laughs> but the biggest um, shock for me in Frozen 2 was if you listen to that original, um, like the deluxe album, they talk about the prophecy and that whole like idea. Mm-hmm. I was surprised that it was less like, I thought that was literally going to be it. They were just going to, like, put that into there. But mm. it was a completely, like, it was a bigger turn than that. And obviously, it was well, like, thought out and done. Mm. But it was just um, totally different than I thought. Yeah, I, I was kind of surprised they didn't build on and that. And then, of prophecy. course, there was the rumors of, like, Anna having powers. And everyone was like, what's going oh. on? I am so glad they didn't do that. <laughs> Well, they can save the prophecy plot line for the third film. Yeah. For Olaf's 50th short. That <laughs> That's right. They're, they're coming out with a new short, the yeah. creation of Olaf. Interesting. I think like every creation two weeks, Josh Gad gets bored <laughs> and just like tells Disney, like, time to draw me some more slides. <laughs> oh, there have been, yeah, all those COVID shorts. shorts. Yeah. <laughs> just about and then shorts. he... Um, He's been um, doing different um, like synopses of different shows mm. and um, like readings of like funny um, or serious things as Olaf um, to get people to like donate to different like organizations. Oh my gosh. He, he, he loves is Olaf. so funny. He does interviews with Daisy Ridley where he's like, can Olaf be a Skywalker? <laughs> and how does like Disney just like lets him do whatever he wants. They're like, yeah, sure, Josh, like go for it. Like, I'm sorry, but what? 
is it Olaf like their intellectual property and he just like goes on Instagram live and like does whatever he wants like it's no. so funny to me there's probably a publicist saying just like you know as long as you don't swear as Olaf like sure yeah. I bet they have like a contract with him and here's the thing he's reviving that franchise every time he makes a viral video he's an ambassador kind of like uh, you know Honestly, you guys, Hannah, and, and what you do with Jody, you know, um, Disney sanctions that type of thing because they know that it's just such good PR for fans, mm-hmm. especially our, their young fans. So, you know, the, Ola, you know, what Josh Gad does is kind of similar where, yeah, I mean, it's just great correspondence with the fan base. Um, and he has such a big individual fan base. Mm-hmm. That I think he brings a new light to the viewers of like that franchise. Not that Frozen like needs the help, <laughs> but like I mean, might as well, mm-hmm. might as well. Just keep yeah, going. he and he's got a lot of adult fans as well mm-hmm. from sort of the more adult-oriented stuff that he's done. So, yeah, he he kind of maintains that bridge as well. I mean, I'll forever carry the torch uh, for you know Frozen being. <laughs> Uh, not to provoke a rivalry or anything, but I feel like most hardcore like Disney fans prefer Tangled as sort of the dark horse favorite over Frozen. But uh, you know, I'm definitely someone who who would uh, go the opposite way and carry the torch for Frozen as my favorite of those two sort of back to back princess musicals. Um, but yeah, back back to the subject of like. <laughs> sequels and stuff yeah um the the only sequel that bluth uh directed was bartok the magnificent so i definitely want to check that out um sounds like a good time yeah yeah i don't know my favorite song from the film might still be uh in the dark of the night i don't know about which yeah, is we'll sung, talk about. I want to hear you guys' thoughts on that number. It's sung and, by not Christopher Lloyd, who, speaking of creepy villains, he was Judge Doom in uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Right, right. yes. Oh, creepy. Another um, source of nightmare fuel. I was watching it, the film, and I thought, gosh, Christopher Lloyd's singing voice sure sounds like Jim Cummings. That's <laughs> hilarious that you didn't know beforehand. No. I honestly had thought I heard a while ago that Christopher Lloyd did the singing for that number. Um, and, uh, and then I Googled it and I yeah. was incorrect, but my intuition was correct. They so. have similar voices though. I, I feel like Jim Cummings has probably done uh, Doc Brown, you know, voiceover in his lifetime. Probably. Yeah. He, I mean, he, Jim Cummings doing uh, Christopher Lloyd's Rasputin voice singing i mean yeah it's like it was noticeable i i can't tell though in be prepared from the lion king where jeremy irons i think it's sort of uh jeremy irons is not the singer of that um it like swaps out he he did he does do most of the song it's just like the very end where Mm -hmm. um cummings takes over because jeremy irons blew out his voice yeah it's like it's like the top note at the end yeah typical typical actors they can't do it so someone has to step in and help them but the way you can tell it's cummings in this is um rasputin starts sounding a little bit like peg leg pete from the mickey mouse (laughs) cartoons 
And oh, I, I'm, would I some... can't believe that of all the songs in this movie, that is your favorite song. Well, villain songs. It's such an earworm. Oh, I, I, yeah. It's, it's so metal. It's, it's so metal. It's a complete bop. It's why the absurd animation. Um, and the, there's, you know, pink caterpillar sloots with <laughs> and it's like it's it's it parallels the together in paris song. wait so you both love that song the most i i don't think it's my favorite no but i mean among like all villain songs ever including including disney villain songs i i mean i where does this one fall on your rankings like philip and hannah because i i always kind of held this one alongside be prepared as mm-hmm. the, the be prepared they, is one of my favorite songs yeah, they're Hell both fire. very green. They both have minion um, minions heavily involved, uh, <laughs> and uh, the bugs are just gross and fun. Um, Hellfire, Hellfire, well, <sighs> Hellfire is probably the best villain song ever. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's true. Good point. Yeah, that's uh, probably head and shoulders above anything else from me. Uh, but yeah, I don't know the villain rock songs. Style of this song is it's, unique. Yeah. And... <laughs> oh my god. Um, there's a great the villain in rock and rule reminds me of rasputin you know kind of a proto version of that character very gangly and you know gaunt but yeah he's got kind of a, a much more toned down song it's sort of a random music break in in the middle of that film and he's just sort of doing an mtv you know music video he's this washed up rock singer just kind of releasing <laughs> his latest single and it's just it's so like blase he's like my name is mock thanks a lot and then it like breaks into uh you know a chorus of uh, backing singers yeah it's, it's terrible <laughs> it's 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 good oh, like rasputin song it's very self-aware and it, it, it is kind of rolling stones-esque too I, I feel like there are a couple of songs that are a take on Rolling Stones, uh, you know, hits from the the sixties and seventies. Oh, for sure. Uh, this one, I don't know. I would compare this maybe more to eighties uh, rock ballad, uh, kind of like I don't know, Meatloaf maybe. <laughs> um, Philip, the guy that wrote that song, um, Jim. Oh my God. Flair. So Meatloaf and Bonnie Tyler. I read this earlier today. What's that? Hold up. The guy that wrote this song. Okay. And, um, for meatloaf. Okay. Well, Funny. there you go. Phil. In the dark of the night. Honestly, the amount of times Philip just says something off the wall and it just so happens to be like animation history uh-huh. is kind of irritating. Jim Steinman. Okay. That's a cool power. Wrote we- for Meatloaf and Bonnie Tyler because I was looking up all the music because I was just, that's my thing. Uh-huh. I can't believe you just said that. Hmm. You know, if, if there's anything you know, it's animation and classic rock. <laughs> <laughs> well, we haven't mentioned the composers for this, for the music on this film, which we're kind of remiss not to bring that up. But like, uh, I, I don't know how famous of a songwriting duo they are, but they did get nominated for two Oscars on this film. Uh, it RNs and Flaherty, uh, what are, what are their first names again? Stephen uh, and Lynn. I'm reading it too. Yeah. Lynn Ahrens and, and Stephen Flaherty. And then David Newman did the score. Um, 
and yeah, they, uh, the three of them were nominated for best original music in, in either a musical or comedy, which back until, I don't know if it was the early 2000s or what they changed the, you know, best original score category to just one category. It used to be like best original score drama and then best original score, you know, in a musical or comedy. Um, so a few more opportunities for nominations uh, when this film came out. But this film wasn't it, given the opportunity to be nominated for best animated feature because that category didn't exist yet. Right. And of course, um, since all of the um, songs were like transferred over to Broadway, they also were nominated for like Tonys and different mm. things for this. Mm. And I actually okay. thought they got nominated for the Anastasia musical got nominated for something off the wall, which I cannot remember. It was some, mm. some award that normally they don't get. Of course, never mind. Cut that part out. Yeah. <laughs> well, you lose your track of thought. <laughs> um, Hank Azaria won an Annie. That was one of the few wins uh, for Anastasia. Lynn, is it Aaron's or Aaron's? It's spelled A. I think it's Aaron's, but okay. like I'm not a genius, so I could be wrong. She was a mainstay writer and performer for ABC TV's Schoolhouse Rock. <laughs> yes. Okay, Dawson, what's your favorite song from this movie? Um. <laughs> So I mean, Journey, Journey to the Past was the one that was nominated for the Oscar. Really? Mm -hmm. I'm shocked. I mean, Once Upon a December, I think is, it's just what, when I think of Anastasia, mm -hmm. that's what I hear. I mean, that, that song like pops into my head in everyday life on occasion, just as a very like. Once Upon a December? Yeah. Like, I think if I'm ever in a mood, like any, if I like, what does a somber waltz sound like? Sure. It's definitely that's got that. That pops into my that. head. The Russian yeah. minor key influence. Yes. Um, my gosh. And I, I love, yeah, I love the, the Russian sound. Uh, and in the beginning, uh, like you mentioned the Hunchback of Notre Dame similarity where you, you see the, the top of the towers over the clouds and mm. there's just some really great. Um, I can honestly. There's some really great stuff in this film. I like I, I it. like the onion like shaped dome thing they're literally called <laughs> onion dome what is with russian buildings looking like Candyland? though i've always That's been funny. like floored by that or is it Candyland looks like russian buildings that i you're probably right i mean what the russian or the game like, I yeah I, they probably didn't treat the laborers who built some of these grand structures you know the, the most ethically but I guess who did back in those days? I mean, you uh, never know. I mean, there were masons and carpenters and they did the job. I'm sure, yeah, there were probably- They probably didn't people. have workers' comp when they fell for <laughs> those stories, but- Plenty of people who are very proud of the work they did on these buildings, certainly. But yeah, there probably were people who died. Soviet Russia handing out workmen's comp. Yeah, I don't Who knows? There were plenty of people who died for owning more than one cow, so- <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, it's like Russia. It's it's so kind of gloomy, and uh, you know, Saint Petersburg is gloomy. An enigma shrouded in mystery. Is that what Churchill famously said? Well, Saint Petersburg is. I mean, it's it's just a harsh climate in Russia too. So that would lend itself to sort of a harsher populace. You know, just the attitude of the people is a bit more brusque. 
Um, and, and like, I love the way the, the citizens in the beginning, like they're, they break into that gossip, just the, the chatter moment. And like, they're just so, you know, boisterously gesticulating and just chewing on, uh, I wrote down expectorant uh, enunciating of their, their words. They just, it's very animated how they talk. And I think that's a characteristic of, you know, some of these Eastern European cultures where they do, you know, they're often fairly. Oh, see Dimitri <laughs> at the old palace. Yeah. You didn't hear it from me. They like so to chew good. on their, their vowels and their consonants. They're very flamboyant in certain ways. Who's the actress who plays the, um, that old like actress lady who they interview, who's like, Madonna. Uh, I don't know. I, she's, I, I, let's see, full cast and crew. That's a good, that's a good audition montage. Um. Yeah, I, I guess uh, we'll wrap it up here soon, but like the whole, I guess, con element of Dimitri and, and Vlad, like they're, they're clearly not, terrible dudes but and i think they're only in that sort of anastasia racket because other people are doing that it's just that vlad happened to be a member of the imperial court so he's got better connections so like if if he you know were to actually find the real anastasia it'd be much more legitimate you know to it'd be easier for him to get access to the um, the Dowager, um, what's her name? Marie. Dowager Empress. Dowager Empress. Um, it's a wonderful little part. Um, Dimitri's another big change in the musical, actually. Oh, yeah. Oh. You know how in the movie he's like, um, his family is like works in the castle and then he helps her like escape? Mm-hmm. Well, in the play, he like, doesn't really have like the whole like secret escape passage like all of those things and his big moment with her is um through this song in a crowd of thousands and he just like sees her in the parade and like that's his like big moment that they share together is like he sees her through like a crowd of thousands and like it's like their big their big love moment. Okay. That's not quite as cool, is it? Less of like her childhood hero, more of like a a memory. Huh. Mm. Because again, that theme of memory is really more prominent. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't, you know, Anastasia has amnesia throughout much of this film because she hit her head at, on, on the railway platform. Uh, but yeah, Dimitri remembers the moment where he helped save um was it just Anastasia and her grandmother that follow him through the passageway or were were any others? Um, it must have just been the two of them, huh? I think it is just the two of them. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah. But he was like a little, um, he was like an orphan in the streets mm-hmm. in the musical and like he just like knows of her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ten years later, he wouldn't necessarily remember the face of the girl he helped um but yeah i mean i guess they both kind of end up having mutual memories of the occasion that helps solidify the the truth um and the fact that like in reality you know this is just total fantasy and there was you know anastasia was never 
proven to have survived or anything, but it, it kind of diminishes the, the impact a little bit if you want to be cynical. Um, but if you just are interested in the story that this film has to tell, like it is, it is an effective moment of realization, you know, when um, Dimitri is, is resigned to the fact that like this girl that he, he loves is just totally be out of his league. You know, he ends up choosing love over riches. So that shows a, just a powerful evolution on his part. The final fight with Rasputin um, is super dope and crushing the the green juice is radical. Um, but I noticed this time that uh, he like just kind of crouches and pleads with her like, don't break it. And he's like grasping at her hands hmm. and like arms for like a long time while she's like crushing this thing. Uh, it's like really dramatic, but it was the the drama of it was kind of lessened for me by like neither of them were moving. She was just standing on it and crushing it, and then he was like pawing at her hands. It was like, no, it's down, it's at her feet. What are you doing? Because <laughs> she's like, this one's for Dimitri, and this one's for whoever, and this one's for me, and the Se- whole secret- time he probably secretly wants to die. <laughs> That's wonderful, headcanon, Philip. Yep. I, I don't know. Yeah. He doesn't seem like the happiest person to. No, but he wants to kill the Romanovs more than anything in the yeah. whole wide world. And <laughs> he was about to do it until she got her hands on the green juice and then he needed to get it back so he could kill her. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. And I, I, it feels like the reliquary doesn't, it doesn't immediately shatter because it's, it is sort of reinforced by the dark, powers yeah so she has to really like she has to really crush it like a like a tick or something (laughs) something with a hard shell um but yeah i don't i guess it it just is weakening him when that thing is beginning to crack and i like how that effect of the reliquary cracking corresponds to the horse statue you know that yeah, the, uh, the power leaks drawing. out, and so the its possessions diminish. Mm-hmm. It, it's having that immediate impact on the surrounding action, um, which is kind of fun. Um, but yeah, the the bat dog's a little silly. <laughs> Puka, we haven't mentioned Puka. Oh, because he's I forget he exists. <laughs> is it's it cute, a he or a she? I have no idea. <laughs> I I guess it's based on a real dog. One of the least obtrusive like animal companions in an animated film, so that's good. Yeah, yeah. We didn't mention the tra- the train sequence. Really. Oh, that's another scary one. Yeah, I I don't know. It's just sort of an action set piece that they wanted to put in for the the lulls. <laughs> um, yeah, good. which is fun, you know, and it sort of mirrors. I don't know. It was just the iconography from Back to the Future Three was interesting, considering that also stars, you know, Christopher Lloyd. Uh, the train explosion from that. Um, let's see. Um, Blue said he later regretted Vlad's design, claiming it to be kind of cartoonish next to the other pre- protagonists. Oh. Yeah. Um. Yeah, you got Rasputin. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I think he's fine. He looks like Chewbacca. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I feel like there are people in real life who kind of look like that. Yeah. Um, you, honestly. And, and he is based on a real life person who wore his uniform well into like the, the Bolsheviks uh, occupation and, you know, out of protest oh. and his, uh, you know, he showed his loyalty to the, Romanov family well into um, the new regime. Um, so until like, he was promptly shot, I, I don't yeah. know what happened to him. I didn't read that far, but yeah, Vlad. I mean, he's not a, a dirtbag either, but like he's. I, I guess everyone's just kind of being very pragmatic at this time in Russia's history, and so you just do kind of whatever you can to get by. You print out counterfeit uh, traveling papers and ticket is it, yeah are those supposed to be like counterfeit train tickets that dimitri has because yeah. he he just like tosses one to the side and i'm like <laughs> why don't you go grab that one but well, ex- exit visas right like and they, they, they need in order yeah. to travel anywhere they need to get permission to leave the country at all but then you later find out that last month they were blue but now they're red so the blue visas that uh Dimitri and Vlad have are no longer accepted so that that's why they have to like uh, scurry away to the baggage car um but then the train gets almost conveniently attacked by Rasputin it's like if Rasputin hadn't attacked the train with his demons they might have been screwed because they would have gotten apprehended by the customs no tickets (laughs) no tickets I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, the the supernatural elements are fun, but like they they're really I feel mostly in service of the you know wanting to appeal to your typical younger demographic of a an animated film like this. And I don't know. I wouldn't be nearly as interested in this film. I don't think if it didn't have the cool action stuff going on either. So I mean, I'm I'm happy it's there. And I love how dark it is. That era of animated films where they're like, "We're gonna, we're gonna show a, a, a an old, horrible-looking man dissolve into a corpse and goo, and his eyeballs are gonna pop out, and there's gonna be skeletons, and that turn to dust." I mean, everything about it is um, so dark and gloomy and and amazing. And the films today are too safe; they don't do cool stuff like that anymore. Mm-hmm. All right. Well. Uh, I guess it's time to say Das Vidanya, Mother Forker. Das Vidanya. <laughs> That's like the yippie kaye of this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, they do throw in a little bit of Russian lingo. Dobobachinya, as they say in <laughs> Ukraine. Okay. Yeah, pretty fun. Um, I like that song at the end by Donna Lewis. She did that I Love You Always Forever that was like a big hit in the nineties. And then this was her like one follow-up and then she didn't do hardly anything since then. <laughs> I don't know. She's probably still plenty active, but like in terms of ultra, you know, prominent mainstream success, she had that. I love you always forever. And then in this uh, film, what is that song that she does call? Um, once? No, no, no. Uh, ooh. It's got it right here. Uh, where, oh, at the beginning. What do you think of that song, Hannah? 
that end credit song? Um, I think it like, like goes the, with everything else. The pop like, songs. I think it's like suited okay for the film. Mm-hmm. I just think that like the other songs are more iconic. Oh, okay. the way, I don't know if I got your two's favorites. Uh, Mine? Yeah, what is your favorite? My favorite? <laughs> Dawson, I never thought you'd ask. I'm so sorry. Um, it took me way too long. <laughs> it's okay. You must Honestly, have got distracted. I forgot that I didn't say mine. Um, favorite, 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 favorite is Journey to the Past. But Fair. I was born in December, so my big meltdown song as a child was Once Upon a December. So that song really speaks to me. You know, like when your mom makes you go to your room, then you're like, ah. <laughs> that's what I was singing. Yep, and you imagine you're whisked away. <laughs> like I was a... like a ballerina bawling in my like slippers. Beautiful. I relate to that. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> if anybody listening relates to that, please let us know so that we know we're not alone. Philip. Do you have favorite? It's dark of the night. Yeah, that's that's my fave. And then Good. probably Good. journey to the past. Um, I, I do like the Donna Lewis song. But it's it's a little poppy. I can find it on Spotify. Unfortunately, I don't think they have the album on Spotify. <laughs> um, actually, Broadway Anastasia was super hard to find forever, and I still hmm. don't think it's on very many platforms. I don't think it's on apple music yet like it's hmm. really weird so they must have a weird contract with um like one of the songwriters or something yeah. i don't have apple music uh but the anastasia broadway is on spotify i was listening to that a little bit today hmm. let me see but if it's when i was looking up the film but yeah they i did not see the film's album anastasia broadway is on apple music now but hmm. The animated one is not. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I'm super impressed with how this film held up from 1997, uh, especially after Quest for Camelot, which I felt did not quite so well hold up. <laughs> but um, I mean, I still enjoyed that one too. It was kind of a fun throwback. Uh, but yeah, this is a bona fide classic. I I don't know if there's anything overly transcendent here and. I think that's sort of reflected in the way that like they couldn't get too deep into the weeds with some of the political and, and just um, real substantive um, effects of the, the, the real dark history surrounding the demise of the Romanovs and, uh, and the true story surrounding Anastasia. But I mean, it still manages to incorporate plenty of fun kind of darker themes um, and, yeah, it, it does have a, a great message about, you know, finding your home and really just um, following your heart, all that good stuff. Um, I don't know, any any other profound insights either of you have uh, for Anastasia? No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, honestly, I just think the theme of like remembrance and like the importance of like family and like how unexpected everything can be mm-hmm. and um I think Anastasia is like honestly so topical and that's why it could come back in like 2017 it's so like relative and like it just shows you how like history like no matter how like the differences seem mm-hmm. like there's still relatable parts mm-hmm. that can kind of carry us through generations and even centuries 
That's why stories matter. That's why history matters. It's uh, yeah, for sure. You know, um, yeah, a fun little historical backdrop in this film that I'm sure introduced plenty of kids to some interesting historical subjects. And uh, yeah, I'd hope so. I don't know if that's true. (laughs) You find out who Rasputin is, yeah. Oh, that's true. uh, I guess Rasputin is going to be portrayed by Reese Ifans in the upcoming uh, The King's Man. So he's going to be relevant once again. (laughs) Yeah, so have to see how he's portrayed in that film. Um, those those movies can get a little bonkers, so who knows what kind of tricks Rasputin will have. I haven't seen them. I don't know if <laughs> up I should. Up his sleeve. If I, uh, I recommend the first Kingsman film. The second one, I really I had a bad. hard time sitting through in theaters. Yeah, I was just, it, it was not engaging for me <laughs> very, huh. very much at all. And they make some really weird decisions. Characters that they resurrect, characters that they kill off, you know, weird relationship dynamics for things like no that. reason <laughs> yeah so but the first one worked great as like a, a james bond satire <laughs> um yeah so uh anastasia uh definitely recommend and great work uh 20th century fox animation for your first go around uh but yeah we'll leave the audience with that and um, give our sign off here. Hannah, where can people at home find you? Well, they can find me on Instagram at Hannah Lee ever after ever after like fairy tales. Lee is L E I G H and Hannah has an H. Otherwise, if you want to see me get pretty sassy, I'm Hannah smart on Twitter. Um, And that's, that's my extent of uh, social media networking. Dawson, what about y'all? Off the grid, in the woods. Um, <laughs> Understand. In the rainforest with Fern Gully, my wife. Krista. <laughs> yeah, no, JK. Um, and yeah, Instagram, I suppose, Dawson Delwinelke. Yep, find Thodcast at Thodcast on Twitter and Instagram, Thodcast.com, streaming on Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for listening. You can find me, Philip, uh, at Philip Elke on Twitter and Instagram. And um, you all have a wonderful week, a magical day, and warm hugs all around. See you guys. Bye. Bye.